Good morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. It's good to see you all. I've got just a few announcements, um, and then we will get started. Um, the first one is this coming Wednesday, August 3rd, is Family Pool Night um, over at the Conroe Aquatic Center. Um, and uh, you can get signed up to be a part of that. It's $5 per person or $15 for more than three. Um, so $15 for the whole family. And you can get signed up for that through the website or on the Church Center app. Um, either place will get you to the sign-up form. Also, Awana is starting the end of this month. It's starting August 24th, so you can get your kids signed up there um, on Church Center or through the website as well. You can also sign up there if you would like to be a part of the volunteer team. Um, same sign-up form. And our women's retreat in October, coming up in October, is also open for registration, and there are still spots available. So if that's something you're interested in, you can go to the website or to Church Center and get signed up. All the details are there. That's all I have. So let's stand together, and we'll begin our time of worship.
when I come to you in prayer, Lord, have mercy. When I wonder if you're there, Lord, have mercy. When I cannot find the way, Lord, have mercy. Should my heart begin to stray, Lord, have mercy.
thank you that we can come to you. We thank you for your love for us, for the love that you demonstrated to us through your son, Jesus. We ask this morning that you would draw us close to him, make us more like him. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through five, you can be dismissed to kids worship. If you're one of our guests and you have a kid in that age range, you can go with them and get them checked in and then come back and join us.
to start by giving a uh, special shout out to our students uh, this week that uh, were involved in the student missions uh, around the Conroe area. So if you're a student that was involved this week, would you make some noise so that we can see who you are? All right. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. They helped in the restoration of uh, an African-American cemetery uh, downtown here. They helped with one of the ministry affiliates that we support through prayer and finances, all the King's horses, and they uh, served right here, served our children's ministry on Thursday. So thank you for investing three different days this week and uh, serving the Lord and serving us and our community. You guys showed a lot of love and a lot of stamina through that. We appreciate it. Gwen and I uh, took a trip, uh, a road trip to western Montana earlier this summer, and, and the Lord has given us a, a love of road trips. So we just love to jump in the car and, and head away. This one was a little bit unusual because it's about 2,000 miles one way. And uh, so it was, it was quite the trip. But this trip was filled with uh, longing, with a need for strength and for goodness. And I want to try to uh, share a little bit about what that was about. The, the, the longing was we looked forward to this trip. And we did something we hadn't done in about 10 years. And that was take about three and a half weeks uh, to go. And, and so we planned this about five months in advance. And we got the reservations and, and the Airbnb. And, and we started researching where do we want to go visit and what do we want to see up there. And we talked to friends that were up there. And, and there was a great longing. Then we got in the car and we're just excited. You know, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're going. And, and we're headed that way. And uh, and then there was just a real longing for this trip to happen. And, and then uh, we did it in, in a couple of days. We had our daughter along with us as well. So we had three drivers. But by about the 10th hour of the second day, uh, we were just yearning to be there. We just wanted to arrive. We, we weren't really thinking about what we were going to visit and do and all that. We just wanted to arrive. So there was, a, there was a deep longing on this trip. There was also a need for strength. Obviously, we had to stop and refuel the car along the way. And in our great wisdom, we planned this in a summer when grass, gas prices went, went through the roof. And, and uh, so uh, the kids get no inheritance now, but it was worth it. Um, we had to stop and refuel for, with, with meals. We needed strength. We had to stop and, and walk and stretch our legs and, and, and get strength that way. And we were certainly dependent upon the Lord as we drove. And then we, we experienced the goodness of the Lord. We experienced it through his protection. There was a, a wheel that just came off the axle of a trailer in front of us on the highway, going down the highway about 70 miles an hour. And uh, it, it just started bouncing in our direction. And uh, we pulled to the left shoulder and the tire went right. And we were thankful for that. We take that to be an answer to prayer that the Lord protected us there. We didn't have any collisions. We didn't have any collisions with other cars. We didn't have any collisions with wildlife. In fact, the most amazing thing, I mean, we, we, we've experienced this around Texas, right? Uh, but all through the West, we just saw antelope and deer all over the place. The only time we saw the deer on the road was three occasions in, in our, right in our lane when we had slowed down to 40 miles an hour coming into a town. That's the goodness of the Lord, and we were thankful. So we experienced longing, we experienced uh, the need for strength, we experienced God's goodness throughout that journey, and, and it was a wonderful uh, journey, and it was restorative, and uh, we were very refreshed by it. Well, today, I want us to turn to Psalm 84, and it's, it's the story of a journey, and it's the story of a journey that includes a deep longing of finding delight in the Lord. That's what the longing is, the yearning. It's a story with a need for strength. And, and so in this journey, we find the traveler running on the strength of the Lord. And, and it's a journey that experiences the goodness of the Lord by trusting him. 
and experiencing his blessings in different ways. We'll see that as we go through. The, the psalm takes place in three movements, four verses each. And it's part of this series that we're doing called Soundtracks for Everyday Life because the psalms are written in, in a way that is real and honest and raw to real life. And so we can visualize it. We can identify with what is going on here. And you may not identify with every aspect of this pilgrim, this traveler, but I think there's enough here that the spirit will work on your heart. This as he's worked on my heart this week. So we're going to look at Psalm 84. And what we see is this journey, our faith journey, a healthy faith journey leads us to the presence of God. I mean, that's the ultimate journey that we could be on. And in the presence of God is where we find security and we find strength and we find significance. We find stability. We've seen that in different Psalms as we've gone along. So if you're in Psalm 84, we're going to look at verses one through four. And this is what we see here. A healthy faith journey experiences delight in the Lord. A healthy faith journey experiences delight in the Lord. Pilgrims Israelites lived in faraway villages or rural areas and, and were often alone. I'm not talking about the people that lived right in Jerusalem or even some of the bigger cities in Galilee or, or out toward uh, the Mediterranean, but those that just lived out in villages and, and, and those who were just eking out a living. They had their extended family with them. We know it was a collectivist society, and, and so they, they all lived together. Their, their sons and daughters got married, and, their, and they came and lived with them. And so other than that, they were on their own. And, and three times a year, there were festivals that were held in Jerusalem. And so this one is probably, the setting for this one is probably the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was an opportunity for that family that's out there alone to make a trek to Jerusalem, a road trip, if they were into that. But it, it was a time when they could get excited about gathering with thousands of other pilgrims to join forces in praising the Lord, because that was the real excitement. That was the real destination of this journey. And it was exciting for them to be able to take this on and for them to go on this trip. And so that's the setting that we have here. We see pilgrims that are getting ready to go. They have a longing to go. They can't wait for the next festival for this Feast of Tabernacles to take place. And so they're going to go on a journey. This challenges us in our longing for God, to long for him. Excitement abounds. And this is what the psalmist, writing as a pilgrim on a journey, says in verse 1, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts, Lord of angel armies. It is beautiful wherever you are, says this pilgrim. The temple in Jerusalem is God's abode. That is where he lives, and that is why they are on this journey to be able to go to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord in his presence. How lovely are the dwelling places. The temple and his courtyards are where God promised to meet his people. And ordinary Israelites were limited to the courtyards, mainly through the mediation of the priests is how they would meet the Lord. Well, once the journey commenced, the, the longing of the pilgrim would grow and become real. And that longing would soon turn to yearning as they traveled. This is what we read in verse 2. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The pilgrim doubles up on his words. He's longing and now he's yearning. He cannot wait to be in the presence of the Lord. And so for us, the principle here is, and just like it was for the pilgrim, to go to the temple meant to be in the presence of the living God. That's the journey. That's where he or she wants to be. To long for the temple means to long for God himself. And this God is the living God of the universe. This is the God who created everything, who sustains everything, 
This is a God who provides salvation for the entire world. This is a God who redeemed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. This is the living God of the universe. And the pilgrim doesn't use those words just to throw them out there. He lives, she lives in a culture where there is a God to be appeased for everything in life. Not the Israelite culture, but everywhere around them. And especially if they're out there on their own. And so everyone came up with a God for everything that would take place in life. For the sun, the stars, the rain, the crops. There were gods for everything. There was a superstition that went on. And people worshiped these gods. But not this pilgrim. This pilgrim says, the living God. And it's no wonder that the pilgrim longs to be present with him. As the pilgrim travels, he or she on the journey begins to think about what it's going to be like at the temple. And using this poetic language, this language of love that these song lyrics are, the, the, the writer of this psalm states an envy for those that are always at the temple. Starts in verse 3 with this, the bird also found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The psalmist envies anyone or anything that can stay in the presence of God. And so here we are, we're in the temple, most likely the temple of Solomon. And so this is a pre-exilic psalm written somewhere around 900 BC. And what this pilgrim is saying is, you know, I got to travel all this distance just to be in the presence of God. But there are birds that in the courtyards, the open courtyards in the marble can make their own nests. And they get to stay there in the presence, the comfort, the protection of the living gods. And the psalmist didn't stop there. Went on to talk about those who dwell in the place. Verse 4, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising to you. So the psalmist is talking about those who regularly worship there. It might be people that live in Jerusalem, or it might be, since he used the word dwell, it might be those like the priests that live there and rotate through throughout the year to serve the Lord and to serve the people of Israel. This person is showing the longing of their heart to be present by stating how much they envy those that are there. They are blessed. They are joy-filled because they get to be in the presence of God. And that's where this pilgrim wants to be. Longing for the presence of God is something that's both felt by us and can seem foreign to us. Is that right? We know that Jesus lives in us and guides us through the Holy Spirit. And so we know that Jesus is always with us. That's his promise to us. We see it more than once throughout Scripture. So how does a longing develop? Because sometimes even though we're fully aware he is present, we feel distant from him. Well, a longing, a desire, typically develops out of a frustration that we have, of something that we lack, right? We get frustrated that we lack something in our lives and we begin to desire that. It could be anything. It could be a, a new car. It could be uh, a new kitchen tool. It could be a new tool for the garage. It could be anything, new gun, all kinds of things that we get frustrated that we don't have. And so we develop this desire for it. But we have the presence of God. But one of the difficulties that we have is that we yearn for a satisfaction and we search for it everywhere else but God. We yearn for a deep soul satisfaction. that can only be met by the power and presence of Jesus Christ. But we don't always look to him, and that's why we feel distant at times. Over the centuries, those who follow Jesus that have left writings for us will say things like this, the desires of your heart often reflect your spiritual condition. 
That makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus talks about that, which is the treasures of our heart. And so as we evaluate what is it that we desire, we can begin to see where Jesus fits in this. And are we looking to him for ultimate satisfaction? Or are we looking around to the world around us? Sometimes we have trouble defining our deepest desires. We tend to seek a, a comfortable life or a life of ease. That's, that seems to be high on everybody's list. Just wanting more comfort than a lot of our decisions, a lot of our purchases, a lot of our behavior reflects looking for comfort and for greater ease in life. I'm just going to cut to the to the chase. I'm going to cut to the heart of the matter, and, and, and we've said this before, and it's a biblical truth that I think that, that our deepest satisfaction is being fully known and fully loved. That's the human condition. That's what God created us to be and to experience, and we only experience that through the love of Christ, by having our identity in Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we receive the free gift of eternal life. And Jesus enters our life to lead us and to guide us. And we begin to experience every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It is only when we live out of the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives that we begin to experience all that he is and all that he has for us. And we begin to understand what it means to be fully known and fully loved. There are times when we stick our toe in the water in a friendship or a relationship and we, we become vulnerable and we let people see who we are to know more of us. And sometimes it comes back to hurt us and we're scared and we're fearful and so we steer away from that. But that never happens with the living God. Jesus loves us unconditionally and Jesus gives us security and strength and significance that can be found nowhere else. So that's our deepest desire. Our desire is to be available to be fulfilled through the presence of God. But what Satan says is, hey, try this. You'll find satisfaction. Give this a try. Find comfort over here. And, and since we live in a one-click world where we want whatever is the quickest and most efficient, we tend to go for that. We believe the lies of Satan. We go for whatever is best packaged and, and, and looks shiny and, and new to us. And we want that because we can see how life would be better with that. Our issue is that we seek easy comfort and not deep soul satisfaction. And it's fueled by fleshly desires. Soul satisfaction requires time. Time refines and intensifies our desires. And that's where I'm going with this, is, is we look at what does it mean to cultivate a desire. I gave an example a few weeks ago about uh, cultivating a desire for a beach, since I'm more of a mountain guy and my wife is a beach woman. And there needed to be a coming together of that. And so the Lord allowed me to cultivate a desire out of love for her for the beach. I would say this about cultivating that desire, that time refines and intensifies our desires. On our road trip, we started out to be excited in the car, and we were looking forward to this great trip. And then, like I said, about the second day, we just wanted to arrive. We were just ready for anything to give us hope uh, of being there already. Time intensified our desire, refined it as we focused on our arrival. Well, getting to know God and enjoying his presence builds over time. The Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to Timothy, gave the command, the instruction, the exhortation, and he said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In, in other words, spend time with the Lord in prayer and by study of his word and by application of his word. Discipline yourself, make this part of your routine, part of your behavior, let it become part of who you are, that you might experience God's grace and live out of that. Waiting is not encouraged by the culture in which we live. And so it takes real discipline just to spend time with the Lord. But when we discipline ourselves to spend time with God, then he shapes our desires. He changes the wants 
of our hearts and we find our delight in him. We realize that our longings are not simply for all of our troubles to be removed, but to actually know him. And the better we get to know him, the more we experience the fullness of his character, of his love. Time gives us the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. So if we're going to rewrite this pilgrim's thoughts today, we could pen similar words. We could just say, how blessed is the one who dwells in your presence. We have the privilege of spending time at any moment with the living God. We don't have to make that trek to Jerusalem like this pilgrim did. But we've got to discipline ourselves to be with him, allowing him to build our desires, allowing him to shape our hearts, being able to experience and identify his grace. Life continually reveals what we lack, but we can't get anywhere until we find our satisfaction in the Lord. We've got to turn toward him. Our belonging must be to him. We must delight in the Lord. A, a healthy faith journey experiences delight in the Lord. And that journey continues by running on the strength of the Lord. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 8. A healthy faith journey experiences the strength of the Lord. And so the word strength is highlighted in these verses. We see it more than once. The one who is blessed is the one who finds his or her strength in the Lord, who leans on the Lord, who depends upon the Lord. And this person goes from strength to strength. Not only are they given strength for the journey, but they get tremendous strength once they arrive and are in the presence of the Lord. We have the presence of the Lord all the time. We can call on him at any time for strength in what we are experiencing. And there's more to this journey than just the simple notion of growing weary in travel. The psalmist talks about passing through the valley of, of Baca. And so on the way to the temple, the pilgrim is going to pass through the valley of tears. It's a place of adversity, spiritually speaking, that leads to weeping. It was known as the Valley of Weeping. It's also an area that was known, or, or the words refer to uh, a dry, arid area where balsam trees grew. And we don't know the location of that. But what we have here is a picture spiritually of being in a dry state, of feeling distant from the Lord, not feeling the vitality of what we would say today on the New Testament and the things, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. This is what the Lord wants for us. But in a surprising way, he takes us through the valley of Baca. This is what the psalmist says in verse 6. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. Between mountains of strength is this valley of tears. And this land represents a dry spiritual state. And what we have here is that it's easy to draw away from God when we're looking for satisfaction and everything else. It's easy to dry up spiritually. And quite often, believing Satan's lies, we say, oh, well, I tried. Jesus is with me, and I'm still not satisfied. I don't have comfort. Life hasn't gotten better. Instead of turning to the Lord right then. When we feel overwhelmed, exhausted, and certainly when we're rebellious, we feel distant from God. I like the word choice of the sons of Korah here, those who wrote the psalm. They say passing through the valley of Baca. This valley is a dry and arid place. It's a dry place spiritually. It's not a place to camp and to dwell. It's a place to pass on through. And to do that, we need the strength of the Lord. We can't do this in our own strength. And so the surprise is that in the midst of this valley, of all places, it becomes a place of blessing. Have you experienced that in your life? When the greatest forms and experiences of adversity and pain and doubt and loneliness become a place of blessing, the Valley of Baca becomes a place of springs, we hear, read here in, in verse 6. 
There's a play on the words in the Hebrew between pools and blessings. This valley is dry and arid, but by God's grace, it becomes a place of rain, early autumn rain. And the pilgrim experiences this. And there is great joy. There is a restoration of life and vitality because of the rain that the Lord brings. Followers of Jesus, whose heart anticipates God's presence, those of us, joyfully find spiritual refreshment in the Lord in hard times that others find to be parched and dry spiritually. But we find that by talking to the Lord, by dwelling in his presence, by turning to him. I've heard numerous stories from our church family, and I've experienced it myself, I'm sure you have, that in the lowest of low times, when you just feel like life is squeezed out of you, and you're too exhausted to even weep anymore, that you experience the sweetest touch of Jesus, that you experience his love in fresh and new restorative ways. And there's a sense of strength that comes. These times in the Valley of Baca are opportunities to experience the power of God in our lives. Sometimes it's simply peace through its presence. Sometimes it is stamina and strength to, to face another day, to put one foot in front of another, to carry on. Our lives mirror the pilgrim on the journey to Jerusalem. God offers strength, and because of God's grace, we can look to him, and our lives can be restored with vitality that we could not dredge up on our own. And because of God's grace, we become stronger spiritually. We tend to be people who move toward comfort, yet we are overwhelmed by God's strength. And without those moments of tears and weeping, without those moments of feeling dry and distant, we would never experience the refreshment of his grace. We would never turn to him to depend upon him and to lean on him. We would not experience his strength through his faithfulness to show up. The psalmist tells us that not only do we experience his strength, but we carry on in his strength. We go from strength to strength. He gives us the strength to persevere. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The Lord makes it clear that, we can, that, that everyone who journeys with him arrives. We discover that we would not trade the times of weeping for anything that the world has to offer. We're satisfied with the grace and the strength of God in the ways that, that we could never imagine that he would do. How can we experience God's grace in times like this? It's through trusting him. It's through coming to him. This is what the psalmist says about those whose hearts are set on the journey to God's presence. Verse 5, how blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion in whose heart are the highways to heaven, or the highways to Zion. The pilgrim who experiences God's strength and is able to identify God's grace and is revitalized by the presence of Jesus is the one who turns to Jesus, is the one in whose heart is set on Jesus. This highway is a well-prepared and a well-traveled highway for the pilgrims. It's our faith journey that all of us travel uniquely by trusting Christ. All of us end up the same place, becoming more like Jesus as we trust him on this journey. We have to depend upon him. It's got to be in our hearts set on him. That's got to be our trajectory that we might experience his grace and experience his blessedness, his joy-filled vitality for life. That's what happens when our hearts are set on the presence of God and not on the affections of the world. When we face difficulties in our faith journey, 
when we walk through the Valley of Baca, we've got to keep going in the right direction. Certainly the Holy Spirit will cause us to turn and do a work in our lives. He is the one who draws us back to Jesus, but he requires our cooperation. We must cooperate with him. We must lean on Jesus. We must turn to him in prayer and independence. We must go to him for his strength before we go to the world around us because that won't satisfy us and it won't give us the strength to carry through, especially when we're in the valley of the tears. We see in verse five, blessed is the one whose strength is in you. It's a matter of dependence. We place our trust in the Lord moment by moment. And out of this place of weakness and need and helplessness, the psalmist cries in verse eight, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Pilgrim cries out to the living God. This is God transcendent, the Lord God of hosts, of angel armies. This is God personal and imminent, the covenant-keeping God, God of Jacob. This psalmist has reflected on who the living God is and cries out. This psalm reveals that these adversities keep us dependent. And when we are trusting God for resources we do not have, when we are dependent upon him, then we fully experience the strength of God. A healthy faith journey experiences the Lord's strength. So we've seen that a journey is filled with longing, and it's got to be a longing for the Lord's presence. We see that a journey requires strength, and a healthy faith journey experiences the Lord's strength. That's what we run on. And then in verses 9 to 12, we see that a healthy faith journey experiences the Lord's goodness. A healthy faith journey is one which has learned to trust the Lord and to identify his goodness. As we walk with Jesus, we gain an even greater intimacy with him. It's a result of a deeper trust. It's a result of more experiences with him. It's a result of getting to know him and being known by him. And in that vulnerable place, experiencing his love with great security and stability. As we experience his goodness, we have joy of being in God's presence. And that's what the psalmist speaks of here in this last section. First thing the psalmist does is to express trust through a prayer. The pilgrim intercedes for the king, verse nine. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. Shield was a royal title for the king of Israel. And so this pilgrim is interceding for the king, asking the Lord to watch over the king. And perhaps that's a result of being through the Valley of Baca. Perhaps that's a result of experiencing the tears and the lowliness and fearing that the king might experience that as well. The king was the earthly protector of God's people. And as the king went, so went the nation. And so this pilgrim takes time to intercede on behalf of the king. May the Lord be gracious to him. And then in verse 10, we see the enthusiastic declaration of one who abides with the Lord. This is the one who has arrived and is the Lord's presence. This is the one who is writing in a journal like we write when we come out of that valley of tears and we recognize God's work his grace, his all-sufficient grace. This is what the psalmist says in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This person would rather be a doorkeeper in the temple. To be inconvenienced but to be in the presence of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The message uses the phrase here, than to dwell in the palace of sin. 
and we can chuckle at that because we would never on a good day frequent the Palace of Sin, right? We would never choose the body side of Las Vegas for our enjoyment on a good day. But on bad days, we might turn in that direction. The psalmist is realizing and recognizing that contentment and joy is found in the presence of the Lord. And while we would never choose the palace of sin on a good day, we have to admit that we're tempted to take up residence there when we're in pain, when we're doubt, we're confused and lonely, in need of comfort. And too often what happens is we isolate from God and his people and we go our own way, the way of the world, turning our, way, turning our backs on God's deep abiding grace. So why would the pilgrim choose to draw near to God? Why should we choose to draw near to God? We have that longing. We've experienced his strength. Why would the psalmist here prefer being inconvenienced as a doorkeeper than sitting in the lap of luxury? Well, we get that in verse 11. We see that the Lord protects and provides. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Some versions say favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord is a sun. He gives warmth and light. This is a pilgrim who's traveling a long distance through Israel to get to Jerusalem. Dry and arid land and must set up camp before it gets dark because there are no street lights. There are no camp lights other than candles they produce. And so they set up camp and they go to bed and this desert setting becomes very chilly and cold. And to say the Lord is a sun is to say that the Lord gives me warmth because when that sun rises, the desert becomes warm again. And there is light and we are able to see and be guided by the light. Tremendous spiritual truths here. The psalmist says the Lord is a sun. The psalmist also says the Lord is a shield. He protects the pilgrim from wild animals and from highway robbers. The Lord protects us from chasing wickedness when we turn to him. He protects us from ourselves when we suspend the journey. He protects and provides for us with his all-sufficient grace. He carries us along. He offers his favor unconditionally. His grace is manifested in the glory and the honor that he brings to our lives. He honors us with his blessings. The pilgrim provides these, these words as proof that verse 10 is not hyperbole. He would rather spend one day in the presence of God than a thousand days away from him. Then we have a beautiful promise here at the end of verse 11 that, that, that strikes at the heart of everyone on the faith journey. The psalmist says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This passage is an enthusiastic attaboy to all those who pursue Jesus, who set a trajectory of leaning on him, of following his ways and, and living in a loving response to his demands and desires. Not perfect, but willing to confess sin, to keep short accounts. That's the trajectory in following Jesus, the one who walks uprightly is the one who finds God's grace more attractive than the ways and promises of sin. As we've seen in the Valley of Baca, God's ways are not our ways. And so we have to kind of unlearn something here when the psalmist says, no good thing will God withhold. Because when we think of good things, we think of Lord, remove us from our circumstances, get rid of the hard stuff. Take away the adversity. Bring me that life of comfort. You're powerful enough to do that and you love me. But sometimes as we've seen, the Lord takes us through the valley of tears, the valley of weeping. And it's not to get back at us. It's not to leave us alone. 
is to show us his strength and his grace in the midst of such loneliness and doubt and confusion. It is to give us an experience of his love that we can't get when things are good and all sunshine. It is an opportunity to taste and see that he is good. We have to recognize the biblical truth that our good, that God always acts for our good and his glory, and that our good is always being transformed into the character of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily the life that we would plan, the life of comfort and ease, but it is a life in which Christ is with us and constantly showering us with his grace. This passage is also a rebuke to the follower of Jesus who is disinterested, who's divided at heart or decided to camp out with the wicked. This person has lost their way on the journey turn their back on God's grace. And if that is you in, in the river of God's grace, you found an eddy off to the side and you're just slowly going around in circles. While the river of grace is streaming by, the grace that God uses to heal and to give strength and to redeem. We don't want to be those who turn our back on God, who walk away from his grace. It calls for repentance and for walking with Jesus and pursuing him. The psalmist lays out the answer for both types of people in the final verse of the pilgrimage. The truth is declared in bold words in verse 12. O Lord of hosts, the sovereign one, the Lord of angel armies, how blessed is the one who trusts in you. How blessed is the one who trusts in you. Ask how this person, this pilgrim, this psalmist, the sons of Korah, that's how they summarize all that's gone on on this faith journey. That is our joy. That is our life-giving vitality when we pursue Jesus with a longing and a yearning when we run on his strength and when we trust him moment by moment. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So I encourage you, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the desire of your will at the moment, to turn to Jesus, to trust him, to set that as the trajectory of your life, to experience his goodness. And you don't have to do it alone. That's why the Lord put us in church families, so that we can walk together, to encourage one another, to love and good works, to hold each other accountable, to admonish, to love. Let's be those people who let our faith journey continually put us in the presence of Jesus, that we might experience his grace to the fullest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this psalm, this pilgrim that is on a journey and that mirrors our faith walk with you. We thank you that you tell us to come as we are and that you allow us to you accept us by your grace and in and, and your love. You don't just leave us there, but you transform us. You change us into your character. You change us from the inside out in ways that we don't even understand as we respond to you. So we ask for the grace to cooperate with you, to learn to trust you moment by moment, to anticipate your goodness and to look for you in the valley of tears. And we give you thanks that you're there. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand with me? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, 
Thank you for being with us today. Have a great week.